Session 6, an introduction to Islamic eschatology, a biblical comparison. So thus far we have looked at various biblical passages that point to the geography, the primary geography from which the kingdom of the Antichrist will come. We've looked at passages that discuss the theology of the Antichrist, and we've seen that on all counts the Bible is pointing to the region of the Middle East, that it is pointing to the religion of Islam as the religion that will be, in fact, the final vehicle of Satan in the earth in the last days just prior to the return of Christ, that Islam will be the primary vehicle of the Antichrist. And it's essential that we touch on the subject of Islamic eschatology. It's an absolutely fascinating uh, subject and uh, also a very frightening uh, study. Uh, after 9-11, <clears throat> I, at the time I was volunteering, uh, doing uh, email correspondence with Muslims, and it was during that time frame, surprisingly and really shockingly, that we began to see many Westerners converting to Islam, oftentimes even over the internet. We saw a sudden explosion of conversion of Westerners to the religion of Islam. And it was during those years that I found myself uh, really just wrestling and fighting with people that said that they were raised in the church, or even one individual was a Pentecostal uh, pastor, uh, and as they were wrestling and slowly watching them fall uh, into the conversion process and fall into becoming a Muslim, and I was arguing and wrestling and fighting and praying and con contending with them. And I walked around with a sick feeling in my stomach for well over a year during that time. And, uh, you know, it was as if I was watching uh, family members commit spiritual suicide. And it, it deeply impacted me. But it was during those days that I began to discern that Islam is more than just uh, another false world religion. That it was more than just another in a series of false world religion, Buddhism or Hinduism that in fact there is a powerfully seductive force at work in the religion of Islam. And in a strange way, after 9-11, you would think that Westerners by and large would be appalled with the religion of Islam. But instead what we saw was this, this incredible explosion of interest in Islam as Americans and Westerners were, were buying the Quran was the best-selling book and they were they were looking into these things and oftentimes joining internet forums or Islamic chat groups. And in time, you would watch the process. Uh, in many cases, we saw Westerners converting to Islam. And so, again, I began to see that there was a, a deeply seductive, powerful spiritual force at work uh, in Islam. And it was during this very same time period that I began to give myself to the study of Islamic eschatology. What do Muslims believe with regard to the end times? And what I discovered was really uh, absolutely fascinating. I have uh, purchased and, and own probably every book that exists on the subject in English. Uh, I don't read uh, or speak Arabic or uh, Farsi or Turkish or you know any uh, Middle Eastern language, and so I'm not able to read all of the books that are you know, written in Arabic, but there's been an explosion of, of books on uh, that subject in Arabic and Farsi as well. But I have worked through a few dozen books in English, and I have a, a very good grasp on really a broad 
uh, spectrum of uh, orthodox Islamic eschatology as well as popular Islamic eschatology and how it is influencing Muslims and what Muslims believe in a very general sense. We're going to look at those things and compare them, what Muslims believe, with what the Bible says about the last days. Now, I need to put the qualifier out. Of course, Muslims are as different as people are different. And not every Muslim believes everything that we're going to be discussing uh, in this session. Uh, if you were to ask your average Christian on the street, just you know, stand there and ask random Catholics and Christians, when's the last time that you read the book of Revelation? Or when's the last time you studied biblical end times? And most of them are going to say, uh, you know, it never have, or it's been many years, or it's been a very long time. And certainly within the Christian community, the study or the focus on end times is really a subject that is, is usually uh, focused on by a few and touched on by a few more and ignored by many more. And, and likewise in the Islamic world, that is often the case as well. So while these things are taught by the scholars of Islam and while they have been taught down throughout history by the, the great scholars of Islam, uh, by the various madhabs and a lot of the big names, the big... Uh, the names of the big Islamic scholars, we need to remember that not every Muslim that you meet is going to adhere to and believe all of these things. But it is important that we understand what the religion of Islam, what its history and its development is leading many of the more devout Muslims throughout the earth to believe and what they are looking forward to. So the first uh, figure that we want to look at is the Mahdi. This is Islam's first and primary a weighted Messiah figure, the Mehdi. In Arabic, the Mehdi. In English, you could just say uh, the Mahdi, if you want to keep it simple. This is the primary uh, Messiah figure of Islam. Sheikh Muhammad Hisham Kabani, he is a uh, Sufi. He's a, he's a uh, Syrian that's living in uh, Canada. He is, uh, the, the Supreme, he is the head of the Supreme Muslim Council of America. And in his book, uh, uh, the approach of Armageddon in Islamic perspective, he said this. He said, After the lesser signs of the hour appear and increase, mankind will have reached a stage of great suffering. Then the awaited Mehdi will appear. <clears throat> and then he says this, The coming of the Mehdi is established doctrine for both Sunni and Shia Muslims, and indeed for all of humanity. And so, in popular discussion, oftentimes in the American media in recent years, since uh, 2005 when President uh, Ahmadinejad uh, spoke at the UN General Assembly and he prayed at the end of his speech for the coming of the Mahdi and the emergence of the Mahdi, much of the Western media has expressed the idea that belief in the Mahdi is strictly a Shia, uh, a unique Shia doctrine. But in fact, Sunnis do not believe in the Mahdi. But that's actually not true at all. Belief in the Mahdi is orthodox for both Sunni and Shia. However, there are some differences with regard to what the Sunnis and the Shia believe, primarily with regard to who the Mahdi is and how he emerges uh, into the earth and onto the world scene. So the Shia believe that the Mahdi is a very specific uh, man. He is the 12th male descendant of Muhammad. He is the descendant of Ali. He is the 12th imam. Ali uh, would have been the first imam. And then this young boy disappeared. 
several hundred years ago. He disappeared, and you know he was the to be the twelfth imam. And the Shia believe that he has been hidden. He has been in a state of occultation or griba, as they call it. And so, for the past thousand plus years, he's been hidden. And the tradition says that even as the sun hides itself behind the clouds, but we know it is there, so also is the Mehdi with regard to the world and humanity. He is there, he is watching over all things, but he is hidden from our sight. We know he is there, but we cannot see him. And so Sunnis, on the other hand, they believe that the Mehdi will simply, at any given time, in any generation, that he will simply emerge out of the world scene, that, that the mantle of the Mahdi is one that could be put on any devout Muslim, and that Allah could choose any individual, and that he would simply emerge out of humanity. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the twelfth imam. So there is a difference between what Sunnis and Shia believe with regard to the coming of the Mahdi, but once he gets here, they all believe that he will essentially do the same thing. The mission uh, of what he is to accomplish once he arrives for all intents and purposes, is the same thing. Of course, the Shia believe that he will cause uh, Shia Islam to become dominant. Sunnis likewise believe that he will cause Sunni Islam to become dominant. But with regard to what he will do to the non-Muslim world, it is really identical. And we're going to look at these, uh, these traditions. So the first point that, that Christians who are looking at the Bible and then considering these things are to take into consideration is that the Mahdi is an alternative Messiah. He's an alternate Messiah, an alternate Christ. And so thus he is at least an Antichrist. The concept of the Mahdi in the minds of many Muslims throughout the world is an Antichrist. He is a replacement Messiah for the one true Messiah. According to Islamic tradition, the Mahdi will be a universal leader. He will be a caliph or an imam for all Muslims. This is from the Hadith tradition of uh, Ibn Majah in, in Kitab al-Fitan. Uh, Muhammad said, if you see him, if you see the Mahdi, go and give him your allegiance, even if you have to crawl over ice, because he is the vice-regent, the khalifa of Allah, the Mahdi. So according to Islamic tradition, the Mahdi will be the caliph in the last days. He will be the ruler of the Islamic world. And when we say caliph, just think pope, president, and general of the entire Islamic world. Government, military, and religious all wrapped into one. He will be the leader of the entire Islamic world. From Sunan Abu Dawood, the Mahdi will pave the way for and establish the government of the family, the Ummah, of Muhammad, every believer will be obligated to support him. There will be a theological mandate on the Islamic world to support the caliph. Uh, within Islamic theology, there is a tradition called, uh, there is a, a concept called the bayah. This is the pledge. This is the pledge of allegiance or submission that Muhammad himself demanded that all of his followers make. They would make this pledge of allegiance. And then there is a tradition that says that when there is a caliph, that every Muslim is obligated to make the bayah, make the pledge of allegiance or submission to the caliph. And if they don't do that, the penalty is beheading. And this is within Islamic theology. When the Mahdi comes as the caliph, according to Islamic theology, everyone throughout the world will be obligated to, to make a pledge of allegiance to the Mahdi, to the caliph, and the penalty for not doing so will be beheading. So, the Mahdi will be the ruler of the world. This is from uh, 
Indian Muslim scholar M.A. Viliancode in his book Doomsday Portents and Prophecies. He says, the Mahdi will establish right and justice in the world and eliminate evil and corruption. He will fight against the enemies of the Muslims who would be victorious. So the Mahdi is an individual that establishes Islamic victory and dominance in the world and he fights against the non-Muslims and the Muslims would be victorious. This is from the book of the Awaited Savior. It was uh, co-authored by Ayatollah Bakir al-Sadr. I believe that this is the father, it's either the father or the uncle of Muqtar al-Sadr, the head of uh, uh, Jaish al-Mahdi, the, the, uh, the Mahdi army in, in uh, Iraq, as well as uh, Ayatollah Murtada Mutahari. Uh, I believe that he is an Iranian uh, scholar out of the city of Qom in Iran. And in their book they say this, He will reappear on the appointed day, and then he will fight against the forces of evil. He will lead a world revolution and set up a new world order based on justice, righteousness, and virtue. Ultimately, the righteous will take the world administration into their hands, and Islam will be victorious over all the religions. After studying the various hadith and Islamic traditions on this subject, the, the conclusion of these scholars, these Islamic scholars, is that when the Mahdi comes, he will fight against the unbelievers, establish Islamic justice throughout the world, and Islam will be victorious over all other religions. And as believers that have looked at the Bible, that know the traditions regarding the Antichrist, we also know that the, the Antichrist, according to the biblical descriptions, will be a powerful world leader that will persecute Christians and Jews, that he will be at war with the other religions. And as we've already seen, he will deny the God of the Bible, he will deny Jesus the Son, he will deny every other God. The only God that he serves is the God of fortresses. According to Islamic tradition, the Mahdi will gather a coalition of nations from the Middle East. This is from the tradition of Asayuti, Muhammad said, the black banners will come from the east, and those following the black banners, their hearts will be as firm as iron. Whoever hears of them should join them and give allegiance, even if it means crawling across snow, end quote. <clears throat> We've seen the uh, flag of Islam, the flag of the caliphate with the shahada, with the creed of Islam emblazoned across it. We've seen this, uh, you know, in the, in the various jihadi videos as they're sending out their messages to the world. We've seen the flag waved at these gatherings in Indonesia, calling for the, re the revival of the caliphate, the Hizbut Tahrir conferences, with uh, over 100,000 in attendance, or 10, 20,000 in London, calling for the reestablishment of the caliphate. This is the banner of the, the, uh, the caliphate, the banner of the Islamic uh, government. In recent times, we've seen a video that was put out on the internet by Al-Qaeda where they are uh, portraying themselves as being, in fact, that army of the Mahdi, marching from the east, from Afghanistan, on horses with the black flag, the black banners of Islam, marching toward Jerusalem. Again, the Antichrist, from a biblical perspective, will also gather a coalition of nations from the Middle East. This is from Ezekiel. We could look at numerous passages that speak of uh, the armies of the Antichrist coming from the Middle East, and we have looked at some. Just touch on one verse, and we're going to deal with uh, 
Ezekiel 38, 39 in a later session in some detail. But verses 3 through 6, the Lord says, I am against you, O Gog. Gog is simply another name for the Antichrist. Chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Meshach and Tubal are modern-day Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army. Persia, that's Iran, Cush and Put, again, Libya and Sudan, will be with them. Also, Gomer, that's speaking uh, again of Turkey or uh, Armenia. And Beth Tagorma, from the far north, with all its troops and many nations, many nations with you. Here is clearly a Middle Eastern coalition of nations marching against Jerusalem, headed up by the Antichrist. The Mehdi will gather a coalition of nations from the Middle East and invade the land of Israel. So also does the Mehdi do the same thing. Uh, does the Antichrist do the same thing? This is from the tradition of uh, Tirmidhi, as quoted by Muhammad Ali ibn Zubir in The Signs of Kiyama. Muhammad said, armies carrying black flags will come from Khorasan. This is the region straddling uh, Iran into uh, uh, Pakistan. No power will be able to stop them until they reach Elah, which is Beitul Maqdas in Jerusalem. That is the Temple Mount, the Holy House in Jerusalem, where they will erect their flags. So according to Islamic tradition, this army carrying black flags will make their way from the east and they will march to Jerusalem where they will erect their flags on the Temple Mount. We also know that the Antichrist is to rule specifically from Jerusalem. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4. The Antichrist will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So again, the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple in Jerusalem. The Islamic Messiah figure sets himself up in the temple in Jerusalem. Matthew 24, Jesus said, this is verse 16, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The Antichrist will set himself up on the temple mount in Jerusalem. The Mahdi, according to Islamic tradition, will attack Israel and specifically target and kill Jews. This is from the uh, Hadith collection of uh, Abu Muslim, Sahih Muslim, as well as Bukhari. Uh, there are actually several of these Hadith, very similar. This one says, uh, the Prophet said, the last hour would not come unless the Muslims will fight against the Jews and the Muslims would kill them until the Jews would hide themselves behind a stone or a tree. And the stone or the tree would say, O Muslim, O servant of Allah, O Abdullah, faithful Muslim, there is a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. Here you have this supposedly inspired prophecy within Islamic tradition that literally says the day of resurrection, the last hour would not come unless the Muslims will carry out a final and complete genocide against the Jewish people. Again, we looked earlier at the statement of Jesus in John 16, 2, where Jesus said, in fact, a time is coming, a day is coming, when those who kill you will believe that they are offering God a service. This is John 16, 2. They do these things because they do not know the Father, they do not know me. Islamic tradition trains and prepares and teaches Muslims if they adhere to these traditions, and again, this is uh, Sahih, 
that they're called in the last days to be engaged in a genocide, literally a genocide, the very thing that Jesus said would take place toward uh, his people. This is from a book called Al-Mahdi in the End of Time, written by two uh, Egyptian authors, Muhammad ibn Izzat and Muhammad Arif. And they say the Mahdi will be victorious and eradicate those pigs and dogs so that there will once more be a caliphate. As the Hadith states, Jerusalem will be the location of the rightly guided caliphate and the center of Islamic rule, which will be headed by Imam al-Mahdi. That will abolish the leadership of the Jews and put an end to the domination of the Satans who spit evil into the people and cause corruption in the earth. So by studying the various Islamic traditions, these Muslim authors believe that they are divinely called by God under the leadership of the Mahdi in the days to come to establish a global Islamic kingdom from Jerusalem and to kill Jews in the process, those that it calls the pigs and the dogs. They will, the Mahdi will be victorious and he will eradicate those pigs and those dogs. This is where it gets really interesting. The Mahdi, according to Islamic tradition, his career, he will rule specifically for a period of seven years. This is from Sanun Abu Dawood. The prophet said, The Mahdi will fill the earth with equity and justice as it was filled with oppression and tyranny, and he will rule for seven years. Now, there are a few different uh, hadith which also say that he may rule as many as eight or nine, but if you read the various discussion by Islamic scholars, they generally conclude, they say, it'll probably be for seven years. After looking at the various hadith, they say it seems as though it's that seven-year uh, mark that is the, is the time frame that will be his mark, the time of his rule. Now, the Antichrist, according to the Bible, will also rule for a period specifically of seven years. Daniel 9, verse 27, the Antichrist he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That's a period of seven years. In the middle of the Shabuah, the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. On a wing of the temple, he sets up the abomination that causes desolation. Daniel 7, verses 25 through 27. The Antichrist will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and laws the antichrist will try to change laws he will try to change the times and the laws the saints will be handed over to him for a time times and half a time what that means is three and a half years it's one year two years and half a year equaling three and a half years that's half of seven years and that's the time frame the primary time frame which the antichrist will be given to persecute god's people in the earth three and a half years half of the seven year a uh, career of the Antichrist will be given to persecuting God's people. And it's interesting, it's, it's really just more interesting than anything to take note of the fact that the Antichrist will change set times and laws. And when you really ponder that, you say, well, what could that mean? I mean, you know, what, what people group in the earth would desire to change the calendar, would desire to change the laws? And clearly, uh, if there were uh, a, you know, a global Islamic leader that were to rise up, or even just a powerful Islamic regional leader, uh, clearly he would desire to establish Islamic Sharia law, and he would desire to replace uh, non-Muslim laws with Islamic law, and he would desire to cause the Islamic Hijra calendar, as well as just the entire Islamic uh, you know, order of the week, with Friday being the 
sort of the holy day for Muslims, whereas Saturday or Shabbat is the holy day for the Jews, and then um, oftentimes Sunday for Christians. They would, they would try to arrange the week so that Friday is really the, the day for worship when you can go to mosque and so forth. And also I find it interesting, and this is really just sort of a little interesting uh, thing to take note of, is that they, in Mecca, in the city of Mecca, the Saudis just finished building this massive, giant hotel complex called Abraj al-Bayt. It is uh, this massive clock tower. It's a hotel, which is also a clock tower, overlooking the Kaaba. Again, the, the most significant city of idolatry that the world has ever known or ever will know. 1.5, 1.6 billion peoples every day, five times a day, bowing and praying toward that cube, toward that Kaaba, praying to the God that they don't know. And right there, overlooking the Kaaba now, is this massive clock with the name Allah emblazoned across the top. And newspaper articles highlighted the fact that the Saudis desire to see uh, you know, global time synchronized according to Mecca standard time as opposed to Greenwich mean time and that they would base their clocks off of this clock in Mecca. It's interesting. It's just something to consider. The Antichrist will try to change times and laws. And here you have this, uh, this just towering clock tower there, right? in the city of idolatry. The Mahdi will specifically rule during a period of a seven-year peace treaty. So it is specifically during a peace treaty that he will make with Jews and Christians. And this is really not a, a very uh, widely circulated hadith, but it does exist in the Islamic traditions. This is from uh, Tabanari, as related by Hadrat Abru uh, Umama, as quoted by uh, Zubir Ali. He says, Muhammad said there will be four peace agreements between you and the uh, al-Rum, the Romans, i.e. the Christians. The fourth agreement will be mediated through a person who will be from the progeny of Hadrat Harun, in other words, Honorable Aaron, that's Moses' brother, and it will be upheld for seven years. So it speaks of the time of the Mahdi's rule as a time that will be, it will be during a period of this peace treaty with the Christians, with the Romans, with the Western world, but it will be mediated through a priest, through a Jewish priest, a descendant of Aaron, from the progeny of Aaron, who was the, the high priest. So it's very interesting that according to Islamic tradition, their Messiah figure would rule for a period of seven years, which would be during a peace treaty that would be mediated with a priestly Jew. And then, of course, we know that the Antichrist also will rule during a false peace treaty. It speaks of that uh, false peace treaty there in Daniel 9. Now, beyond uh, this primary Messiah figure, beyond the Mahdi, there is also a secondary but also very important Messiah figure within Islamic theology, and that is Jesus. They call him Isa, Isa al-Masih. And so Muslims also believe that Jesus will return. Now, it's essential that we, we stop and take note of the fact a lot of Christians, particularly those that are a bit more evangelistic or missional in their orientation, they get very excited when they hear that Muslims believe that Jesus is going to return. And they see this as a wonderful bridge and an opportunity to open dialogue. And they say, wonderful, we also believe that Jesus is going to return. And, you know, if, in their ignorance often say, you know, well, you're, you're just like us, we believe that too. 
But it's essential that we understand what Muslims believe with regard to the coming of Jesus. Because what they believe is, is dark and extremely frightening. <clears throat> We've all seen the, uh, the signs of the protesters there in uh, London holding up the sign, Jesus is the slave of Allah. Muslims believe that Jesus was merely one more prophet. He was just one in a line of many, many, many prophets. Um, and they also believe that uh, there's another sign there. It's just interesting. Islam will conquer Rome. I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that the Pope was thrilled with that particular, uh, that particular slogan. So here are, according to Islamic tradition, the specific things that Jesus will do when he returns. According to the Hadith, he will break crosses throughout the earth. What that means is that he will eliminate the symbol of, the, of Christianity. He will erase the false uh, symbol of Christianity. Because again, Islam teaches that Jesus never died on the cross. That that whole episode was a mere illusion. That Allah actually tricked those present. That he delivered Jesus up to heaven. That Christians are mistaken. The symbol of the cross is essentially a pagan symbol. And so according to Muslim theology and eschatology, when Jesus returns, he will break crosses. He will remove crosses throughout the earth. Beyond that, it says that he will kill pigs. That is to show the Christians of the earth that they're... Uh, unkosher diet was not in accordance with God's desires. And then thirdly, he will abolish the jizya tax. And this is essential. The jizya tax is simply the poll tax. For those that are unfamiliar, <clears throat> whenever the Muslims conquered a particular region, they would impose the jizya tax on the dhimis, those that were the subjected peoples, the dhimitude. And so the dhimis were called... Uh, every week or month to come in the public square and they would undergo this humiliating uh, <clears throat> episode where the Muslims would whack them over the top of the head with a stick and they would bow and they would pay the jizya tax. And the jizya tax, according to Islamic uh, propaganda or claims, is simply a protection tax. And it's, it's very similar really to the, uh, you know, the, the mafia, they come into the neighborhood in, in New York City, into the new bakery, you know, and they say, you know, and it's this classic stereotypical uh, Hollywood mafia image, and they say, hey, you know, it's good to see you in the neighborhood. From now on, I think that you're going to, you know, want to give a certain percentage of your income to us. And the, the, the chef, he says, well, why do I need to give you uh, any of my profits? And he says, for protection. And the guy says, protection from who? And he says, hey, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. The point is the mafia guy is saying, you give us money, otherwise we're going to ruin your store. Likewise, the jizya tax was simply uh, a painful, a painful uh, economic uh, extraction from the Jews and the Christians that lived as subjected peoples under Islam. And oftentimes, because of that economic pressure over the years, we would see Jews or Christians eventually uh, convert or f claim to convert to, to Islam. And as a result, the revenue base would shrink and Islam would be forced to move on to new territories to expand its uh, revenue base. But here's the point, is that that has always been part of Islamic theology. If you're a Jew or a Christian, you can live as a dhimmi under Islamic domination. However, once Jesus returns... He will abolish the jizya tax. What does that mean? The point is that after the time of the return of Jesus, the option 
to be a subjected person, to be a protected people, that's no longer an option. The only options available to Jews and Christians after the return of Jesus is convert to Islam or die. There is no longer a third option. This is according to Islamic theology. Beyond that, when Jesus returns according to Islamic eschatology, he will kill specifically Jews and most specifically the Jewish Antichrist. And we're going to discuss him uh, in some more detail and they call him the Dajjal. And then fourthly or fifthly, Jesus, when he returns, will follow the Mahdi. So according to Islamic tradition, when Jesus returns, he specifically prays behind the Mahdi. And then he says to the Muslim army, he says that Allah has given uh, the leadership over the Muslims to one man. He's given it to the Mahdi and he prays behind the Mahdi specifically as a sign that he is an assistant and subservient to the Mahdi. So when Jesus returns... In a nutshell, he comes back and he tells the Christians of the world that he is Jesus, but the Christians of the world have had it wrong all along. That in fact, he never claimed to be the Son of God, that he never claimed to be the divine Son of God, that he never died on a cross, that the Christian Bible is corrupt, that you guys have had it wrong all along, that Islam is the only true religion, and the Mahdi is the, the man to follow. This is the guy you need to get behind him. You need to become Muslims because Christianity is false. You guys have a corrupted religion. This is according to Islamic tradition. This is what they are expecting. And beyond that, not only does he abolish Christianity, but he also slaughters Jews. You have the greatest perversion of the story of the return of the Messiah in Islam. Rather than coming back as the savior to his people, He comes back to abolish Christianity and to kill the Jews. This is what Muslims are expecting. This is what their theological system has set them up and led them to believe. Thirdly, the third uh, eschatological character, the third main character within Islamic theology is this character known as uh, Al-Masi Ad-Dajjal or Ad-Dajjal Al-Masi, which simply means the charlatan Messiah, the false Messiah. And the, the name Dajjal goes back to uh, the story where you had these, uh, these camel traders and they would, they would come into the, you know, the marketplace and they would have, for instance, a camel that had mange. And to try to cover that up, they would rub tar over the mange spot to try to hide the fact that they had a bad camel. These guys were charlatans. And so these, these charlatans became known as uh, Ad-Dajjals. They were, they were charlatans. And so Ad-Dajjal al-Masih is the charlatan Messiah. We could just simply say the Antichrist. But we need to understand that when we look at the, the Islamic version of their Messiah, the Mahdi, that he bears very strong semblance with the biblical Antichrist. When we look at the Islamic Uh, version of jesus when he returns he has many very similar qualities to the biblical false prophet that is spoken of in revelation 13 the bible says that the false prophet will come with the appearance of a lamb or a ram he has two horns but he has the appearance of a lamb but yet he has the mouth of a dragon in other words he will appear to be the lamb of god but yet in fact inside it is satan satan himself And so you have these, what I call, anti-parallels. Literally, Islam has taken the good guys of the Bible, 
and made them into the bad guys. It's taken the bad guys of the Bible and it's made them into their saviors or their Messiah figures. So the, the, the Islamic tradition has literally set Muslims up to believe that their Messiah figure, when the Antichrist comes, that he is their Messiah figure, their Mahdi. Now we're going to see that Islam has also set up Muslims to believe that when Jesus returns, that he is the Antichrist. So what does Ad-Dajjal do according to Islamic tradition? When he comes back, he will claim to be God. He will actually claim to be God Almighty. He will claim to be Christ. He will claim to be the Messiah. Specifically, he will claim to be Jesus Christ. Islamic tradition says that he will heal many people. It says that he will actually raise people from the dead. And he will be the greatest deceiver, the greatest and most powerful deceiver that the Islamic world has ever faced. It will be the greatest uh, fitna, the greatest... uh, challenge that the muslim world has ever faced and he will have the power to convert muslims to his cause the uh, islamic tradition says that a muslim will go to sleep as a devout muslim but when he wakes up he will be a follower of ad-dajjal and muslims are are taught to memorize uh, certain surahs for certain chapters in the Quran, almost as an amulet of protection, that it will protect them from the deception and the power of Dajjal when he comes. And interestingly enough, the Dajjal is also said to ride a magic white mule across the sky. He's, he's claimed that he will ride this mule all across the skies. Now, here is a statement. This was made by uh, Osama Abdallah. He's this sort of low-level Muslim apologist that has a a pretty big presence on the Internet. And speaking of uh, these things, here's what he said. Briefly, Christians believe that Jesus will come down to earth and fight for the state of Israel. What seems to be quite ironic to me is that those Jews that Jesus is supposedly going to fight for don't even believe in Jesus as God himself, nor as a messenger of God. Jesus never liked the Jews. This is according to Osama Abdullah. Jesus never even liked the Jews. Now, without being biased, we Muslims have a story that makes a lot more sense and is empty of contradictions. We believe that Jesus will come down to earth toward the end of the world time to fight the army of Satan, which will mostly be from the bad Jews or the Zionist Jews. In other words, the state of Israel, as we call them today and the deceived from the polytheist Christians, or the Trinitarian Christians, and the pagan polytheists, such as Hindus, Buddhists, etc. So he says, when Jesus comes back, he comes back to fight Israelis, as well as Trinitarian Christians, i.e. historical Orthodox Christians, and then he lumps us in, as well as the pagan polytheists, such as the Hindus, the Buddhists, etc., Some Jews and many Christians will be among the good and blessed and they will fight with Jesus' side. So in other words, some will reject Zionism, some will reject the Trinity, some will reject their faith and they will be on the side uh, of the, the real Jesus. And then he says this, the army of Satan will be led by a person who will claim to be Jesus Christ himself. The Muslims will call him the Dajjal or the deceiver. The real Jesus' army, i.e. Isa, the, the Muslim Jesus, will fight the Dajjal's army and defeat him. The empire of Israel will fall and the religion of Islam will prevail. Is this amazing? Literally, Islam has set Muslims up to believe that when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, they will look to him and say, this 
is the Antichrist. We need to go fight him. We need to go kill him. I pulled this uh, particular quote off the back of one of, uh, one of the books that I have that is speaking of uh, the Dajjal. And it says this, We are living at the end of times. We are already experiencing the minor signs of Judgment Day that precede the appearance of the major signs. What they mean by that is, is simply what the Bible makes reference to the, the birth pangs, those signs that precede the coming of the Messiah, the various uh, plagues and, and natural disasters throughout the earth. Those are the minor signs, the turning away of, uh, toward unrighteousness and irreligiosity. And the major signs are the coming of the Messiah figures that we just discussed. And then he says, one of these first signs is the appearance of the Jewish Antichrist or the Masi Ad-Dajjal. Notice the, the Antichrist is always qualified as being the Jewish Antichrist. The affliction of this Jewish Messiah is so great, the Dajjal will be able to deceive the very elect, the very pious. The one who believes that he has faith in his heart is still susceptible to the deception of Ad-Dajjal. And in, in this very kind of strange, almost humorous turn of events, Muslims are terrified. When you read their books regarding the Dajjal, I mean, they are really terrified of the, the great affliction and the tribulation of a Dajjal. And they have this tradition that says a Muslim will be a faithful Muslim. He will go to sleep and wake up as a follower of a Dajjal. And what's so interesting is that throughout the Islamic world today, we have Muslims that are coming to faith specifically because they claim that Jesus appears to them in a dream. And they wake up and they are a follower of not the false Jesus, but in fact the true Jesus, the God of creation. And so in this strange, again, this sort of strange anti-parallel, Islam has preempted this work of God in the earth, saying that Muslims that are converting to Christianity as a, as a direct result of, of literal encounters with the, the resurrected Jesus, either in a vision or an epiphany, they say these people have been visited by the Dajjal, by the Antichrist. Now going back to the, the comments made by Osama Abdallah, he makes the point that the true uh, armies of Satan will be led by the false, uh, the false Jewish uh, uh, Jesus, the false Jewish Messiah, and then the real Jesus, the Muslim Jesus, will then go and fight and kill him. And here's what's so fascinating. When we look at Revelation 19, this is really the quintessential picture uh, of the return of the Messiah that most of us are familiar with. And it says, verses 11 through 14, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. Skipping forward, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So Jesus bursts forth from heaven. He's on a white horse. The armies of heaven are with him. His eyes are like blazing fire. Verse 19, Then I saw the beast, this is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. Jesus has just burst forth from heaven, a supernatural God-man with the armies of heaven, and the Antichrist and his armies will actually gather together to make war against him. And over the years, I've looked at this verse and I've said, what in the world are these guys thinking? How is it that they believe? What type of deception has grasped them that they actually believe they will be able to defeat Jesus when he returns? And it never made sense to me. 
It says, but the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them, the armies that were with them, were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. The point is this. It never made sense to me until I understood Islamic eschatology, until I understood that throughout the earth and throughout that entire region, that the majority inhabitants of that land have been prepared by their religion, by these ancient 1,400-year-old so-called prophecies, or at least they believe they're that old, they believe they're from the mouth of their prophet Muhammad, that because of their religion, they literally have been set up to believe that when Jesus returns, that it is their divine destiny to follow these two men, the Antichrist and the false prophet, to follow them and kill the rider on the horse. When Jesus returns, the Muslim armies of the Middle East will actually believe that he is the Antichrist. So in conclusion, as I said, Muslims have been set up. What is our response? As those that love Muslims, as those that are desiring to win Muslims to Christ, what is our response? We need to be on our knees, crying out, diligently praying for the Muslims of the earth. I myself was a hedonist. I uh, came to faith at age 19. I had a radical conversion experience, but it was, it was a very difficult uh, spiritual, emotional, and intellectual process for me. The Lord needed to do a powerful work in my life in order to convince me of his truth and his reality and his claims on my life. Now imagine the power of the deception, the seductive spiritual force that has enshrouded much of the Islamic world. And again, they have these ancient traditions that have blinded their eyes to where they believe they are on the side of God. And in fact, they are literally following Satan in these things. We need to be crying out. We need to be praying, saying, Oh Lord, release your power throughout the Islamic world. Release your Holy Spirit. Open the eyes of the Muslims throughout the world. And Lord, do for them what you did for us. You called us to yourself. You opened your, our eyes. You revealed yourself to us. You made us your own. And now, Lord, break the deception off of these sons of Ishmael, these sons of Esau, these that are deceived, these that you desire to reach. Break the deception off them, Father, and pour out your Spirit. Reveal yourself to them in dreams and visions. Reveal yourself to them in epiphanies. And Lord, as you send missionaries throughout the world, give us the ability to speak into their lives with conviction and with clarity. Lord, do for them what you did for us, that they would in fact become followers of Jesus, not the Jewish Antichrist, but rather the Jewish King. Amen.